my name is Jim. I'm here with my wife, Christy, and uh, we live in Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, I pastor a church there, and uh, we we're down, as, as Zach mentioned, we're down to participate in the parenting event that uh, you ran. It was a sweet time, and uh, happy to be with you for the morning service, um, blessed by what God is doing here, and, and really the relationship that's been established between our fellowship and your fellowship. So, Happy to be here. Um, this morning, I want to draw your attention to John's Gospel, chapter 15, and I'd also like you to find Luke 13 in your Bible. So we'll just take a quick look over there um, partway through our message. So John chapter 15 and also Luke chapter 13. And we're going to look this morning at a passage that I think um, uh, probably a lot of us are familiar with. It's, it's one of the more well-known or more famous um, passages in the Bible. And <clears throat> it's a, a passage that uses a symbolism in order to illustrate truth. And when we look at, at the, the life and the ministry of Jesus, one of the things that you'll discover is that the, the primary focus of Jesus' pre-cross ministry, and what I mean by that is Jesus came to die for our sins on the cross. That's the, that's the primary reason that he came. He said, I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to give myself, my life as a ransom for humanity. But Prior to his going to the cross, the primary focus of the ministry of Jesus was teaching. Um, the, the New Testament um, gospel writers record roughly 35 different miracles that Jesus accomplished. Now, some of them were broader than just like one individual, so you, would, you, know, you could multiply it. But, um, but when they refer to Jesus as a teacher or the verb teaching or its equivalent, there are over 100 references to that. So Jesus was about teaching. And Jesus had a primary subject when he taught, and that subject was the kingdom of God. And when Jesus was speaking to the multitude, Jesus would use language that would be inviting us into that kingdom. And he used a lot of symbolism. He, he referred to himself as a door. He referred to himself as a path. He referred to himself as a, a fountain of water that we could come drink from. He talked about how we could be born a second time. He's, he's giving these invitations to come into the kingdom. And then once a person is part of that kingdom, Jesus would then um, teach on how to live as a citizen of that kingdom. What Jesus is doing is he's creating a new a people with new identities, creating a new community of people. And we're learning how to live as followers of Jesus wherever we live. So regardless of the backdrop that we live in, God is attempting to accomplish the same work in your life. So if, the, if, you know, if you were suddenly to move from Miami and you were to move to somewhere else in the States or somewhere else in the world and you landed there and the backdrop might be very, very different, might be an arid climate and it might be a, a people that don't have the amazing food that you have in Miami and you might have to suffer eating Eastern European food or whatever, you know, and so whatever that backdrop might be, 
God's doing the same work in our lives, right? He's, he's creating in us, uh, the, the, he's developing us to be the people that he wants us to be. So Jesus' primary focus was teaching. His primary subject was the kingdom. But he also had a primary method that he used to communicate. Jesus used symbolism. Jesus used what we would call parabolic language. He, was, he used stories to illustrate truths. And here in John chapter 15, Jesus is using that symbolic language to talk about who he is. Now, John, as an author, John trusts you. He thinks you're smart enough to recognize when Jesus is using parables, so he doesn't use the word parable. He doesn't say, hey, this is a parable. He just lets Jesus speak and you figure it out for yourselves. Okay, here's an example. Chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, when you read that, do you think Jesus is a bush? <laughs> you go, oh my gosh, I thought Jesus was the Son of God. I thought he was God in human form. I didn't know he was a bush. But you realize Jesus is using figurative language in order to communicate something about who he is. In this case, he refers to himself as a vine. Now, the, this is not a lesson on botany. Jesus is using this illustration to teach us something about himself. And I would say the primary message, the number one takeaway from this passage of Scripture is Jesus is saying that life is found in him. Just as there is something that the rest of a bush or plant connects to in order to have life, so too is life found in Jesus. And so if, if, if nothing else, if you take this one thing away today, this is valuable. And that is life is found in Jesus. But Jesus is going to modify that primary lesson from the parable because he's going to talk a lot about fruit and so Jesus, we'd say, the primary uh, message from this lesson is that life is found in Jesus, but we could go a step further and we could say abundant or fruitful or the life God intends for us to experience is found in Jesus. And so that's the number one takeaway. There's some other um, aspects to this parable. I think they're going to be helpful for us. But if we walk out of here today... And we walk out of here just grasping that understanding that, listen, if I want to have real life, if I want to have the life that God intends for human beings to have, that life is found in Jesus. I am the vine. Now, <clears throat> I want you to notice, and we'll go through this in just a moment, but Jesus is going to tell here a story. And this story is going to have three primary characters. Character number one is Jesus, and Jesus will be played by the part of a vine. Uh, character number two is God the Father, and he will be played by a farmer or a vine dresser. And then character number three is humanity, us. And we will actually be played by three different characters. We will be played by branches, but there are three different branches in the story. And so, as we go through these branches, we'll see ourselves represented in the branches within the story. So, let's walk through it. First off, Jesus starts, verse 1, he says, 
I am the what? The true vine. So we already saw the vine is a life source. Life is found in Jesus, the primary method. But then Jesus uses an adjective to modify the word vine. And what adjective does he use? True. Now, there are a lot of adjectives that I suppose Jesus could have used that all would have been valid. I think Jesus could have said, I am the loving vine. Would that be a true statement? I'm the gracious vine. I'm the giving vine. I am the the holy vine. There's a lot of different adjectives that Jesus could have used, but Jesus chose to use the adjective true. It's a word that means genuine or authentic. So if Jesus calls himself the true vine, that's an explicit statement, what is Jesus implying with that statement? If Jesus says, I am the true, authentic, genuine vine, what is he implying? There's false vines. So if Jesus is saying, I am the true, the genuine, the authentic source of life and the life God intends for us, then Jesus is implying that there are false, false sources of life that people can go to thinking that they will find life, and yet they are not able to actually produce life. I want to I illustrate that, and then I'll expand on the thought. There's a very interesting story that happens. It's recorded in, in 2 Kings chapter 4. And the setting is during the ministry of the prophet by the name of Elisha. And Elisha was the primary voice in the nation at the time that was communicating the truths of God's word to the people, trying to get the people to assess their lives in light of what God's word said. In addition to Elisha's voice, Elisha also established what was called the school of the prophets, or it was called zeal, school of prophets, okay? So, and these guys, they, would, they got together and they would learn the ministry. Now, a, a, a school of prophets did not mean that these guys got together and they learned how to tell you what was going to happen tomorrow, okay? So, you get the guys together and you say, okay, all right, Mark, tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. It says, Mark says, it's going to rain tomorrow, and then it doesn't rain, so they stone Mark, and they replace him with David, right? <laughs> so, that, they're not learning how to tell the future. A pro, the primary role of a prophet was to take the, the doctrine, the Word of God codified in the first five books of your Bible, the law, the standard of God, and communicate that to the people, are, are you living in light of the way God wanted you to live? That's what, that was their primary role. Sometimes God anointed them to tell future things, but the primary thing was to communicate the truth of God's word to the people. They were like a pastoral school. In this school, we're not given a whole lot of detail, but it seems like the students bore some of the responsibility for the function of the school. For example, the, the responsibility of cooking. So we're brought into one scene at the school. We're not brought into the classroom. We don't know who the guest speaker was. We don't know the subject they were studying, but we do go into the kitchen. And there's one of the students, and he's making stew for the rest of the students. And another student comes in and tastes the stew, and he thinks, this stew is terrible. And so he goes out into the woods, and he finds a vine. And connected to this vine is a gourd 
or a squash of sorts. And he takes this vine back and he chops it up and he puts it in the stew and he stirs it up and he tastes it. Now that's stew. That's what stew's supposed to taste like. And so they all sit down to eat and they're eating the stew. And we can imagine, it doesn't say this, but Man, this is awesome stew. This is the best stew I've ever had. And then one student sees the gourd or squash floating in it and he goes, stop, stop. He says, there's death in the pot. What he's saying is, that gourd is poisonous. It might make the stew taste better, but it's going to kill you. Everybody stops eating. What happened? There was a vine that promised a fruit to make the stew spicier, to make the stew taste better, but it was actually going to kill them. And that illustrates this idea. Jesus is not the only one that claims that if you come to me, you're going to find life. There are all sorts of claims. When, when, when our life is, is we're facing discouragement or, or difficulty, and there are things that are, are they're pulling at us to say, come here and find comfort or find rest here. Some people go to things that are self-destructive. Oh, they'll give you some measure of peace or some measure of relief from the tension that you're under, but they're destructive. They're not actually going to give you life. We have a huge issue in our culture today with identity. People, people just struggling to find who they are and, and trying to find as, as though if, the, if, I, if I embrace this thing, I'll be satisfied. It, that's a vine that can't give you life. What we need to find our identity is embracing who it is that God tells us that we are. We'll find life in him. That's where life is found. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the source of life, but be careful because I'm not the only one who claims that if you come to me, you'll find life. But those are disingenuous vines. They don't really produce the life that you need. So Jesus calls himself the true vine. Let's keep moving. Let's meet another character. If this were a play, the, 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 the vine would walk off the stage for a moment, and then instead out would come the farmer. And he comes out, maybe he has a hoe or, or spade in one hand. He's got his farmer hat on, his overalls, whatever farmer looks like. And we read, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, a vine dresser or farmer is one who has the responsibility of caring for, in this case, the vines. This is a vineyard he's describing. And so a farmer, his, he lives for the care of the vine. That's what he's all about. He wants this vine to become everything that this vine is intended to be. Part of that responsibility would be to ensure that that the, 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 that the vine was fertilized properly, that it was getting the appropriate amount of water and sunlight. There was also a protective aspect to it where it would make sure that it wasn't getting um, threatened by things that could destroy the vine. So we cared for the vine. In our text, we're going to actually see that this farmer's pretty busy. We're going to see him, we're going to see him take away some branches we're going to see him pruning branches, and we're going to see him burning branches. So he's, he's, he's a pretty busy farmer as it relates to 
this vineyard. So we have Jesus, the source of life. We have God, the farmer, who is caring for the plant. And then we come to verse 2. And in verse 2, we're introduced to us. Every branch. Now, I mentioned before that there are actually three branches in the story. This is the first one. He describes it this way. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So, so where is the branch that Jesus is describing? Look, you're looking for a preposition. Every branch where? In him. Every branch in him. And then how does he describe this particular branch? He says, it does not bear fruit. I happen to bring that branch with me today. So I want to show them to you. So here he is. This is the branch, okay? It's a poor little branch, not very fruitful. Jesus is saying that this branch is in him, okay? It's in him, and yet it's not bearing the effective fruit. Jesus will use a phrase in him, uh, or I'm sorry, he will, def- dis- he will use the phrase abide in order to talk about this concept of being in him. The, the word abide is a word that represents two different theological concepts. The first is the idea of union. The Bible teaches us that when you, when you come to faith in Christ, when you, you looked at the cross and you saw in yourself that you're a sinner and you saw in Christ that he's the Savior and you put your trust in Jesus... Not only were your sins the, 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 the um, crimes uh, that you committed, not only were those removed from you and forgiven, but the Bible says that God actually came inside of you. Jesus came into you. And when that happened, the Bible uses terms like being born again or coming alive or becoming a new creature in Christ, right? So Christ came in you. But the Bible also teaches at that same moment that Christ came in you, that you were then in Christ. You were connected to Jesus. And this connection that you have with Jesus is actually an unbreakable bond. Jesus talked about how we are in his hand and no one can snatch us out of his hands. It's this unbreakable bond that we have because we've put faith in Jesus Christ. So the moment when you said, yes, I I need you, Jesus. I invite you into my life to to be my Savior, to be my Lord. When that happened, you became connected to Jesus. You have a union with Christ. The word abide speaks to a second theological concept, and that would be the idea of communion. So you have a union with Christ, and then you have communion. Now, we have a practice in the church that we refer to as communion or the Lord's Supper, and that actually illustrates the concept. Communion is the relationship that you have with God. There's other terminology that's used to illustrate that. One of the great uh, examples would be that of walking with the Lord. Talk about walking with God. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of communion. I'm walking down the road and Jesus is walking with me. And as I'm walking with him, I can, if I'm anxious, I can go to him for peace. 
If I'm confused, I can go to him for direction. If I'm weak, I can go to him for strength. If I'm, if I'm bitter, I can go to him for forgiveness. Like I can, all that I need is found in him. I commune with him. I enjoy him. And so the idea of abiding in Jesus is the idea that you have been united with Christ by faith in Him, and so now you're able to enjoy the relationship that you have with God. And Jesus tells us about this branch. He says, every branch that is in me is connected, has a relationship with God and the possibility of communion and fellowship with God. But then He says, but unfortunately, this branch is not bearing what? Fruit. Now, the word fruit is a word that's used four, four different ways in your Bible. Number one, it's used of fruit, okay? like apples and bananas and pears. Now, I don't know the scientific definition for fruit, but I do know that if it can't go in a pie, it's not fruit, okay? <laughs> Strawberry pie is okay. And uh, banana cream pie is okay, and apple pie is okay, and tomato pie is not okay, all right? And if you try to pull the pizza thing with me, you're talking about an entirely different food group, all right? So, and one more thing, just because you brought up the subject, and that is fruit has no business in a cake, okay? No business in a cake. It doesn't go there. So, let's move on. Right, so, here, so here's the deal. That's the first way. The second way, the, the Bible actually uses the term fruit more commonly in a symbolic way. And there's three ways the word fruit is used symbolically in your Bible. Number one, it's used to speak of the character traits of Christ that God is developing in you. So these are, these are referred to as fruits. And so Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, he gives a list. It's not exhaustive. He says... He says, the fruit of the Spirit is, and he lists certain characteristics that God wants to develop in our lives, love and joy and peace and patience and, and these character traits. Again, not exhaustive. There's other traits that are not found in that list that God wants to produce in us. But what he's talking about are the character traits of Christ being produced in us. Those traits will make our lives better, and those traits will make our influence on others more positive. So the more that I allow Jesus to develop those traits in me, the better my life's going to be, and the better husband I'll be, the better father I'll be, the better worker I'll be, the better, the better participant in my local church I'll be, the, the more influence I'll have in the community. And so there's these character traits of Christ that are developed in us. The second way that the word fruit is used symbolically is to speak of reproduction, the idea of a person whose life impacts another person and that person comes to Christ. In fact, one of the primary purposes, there's, we might say there's two primary purposes of the fruit of a tree. One is to provide sustenance for those that are not part of the tree, right? So the peach provides sustenance for those that are not part of the peach tree. The second purpose of the fruit of the, the peach tree is reproduction. We, we, the seed is actually the fruit. 
the part that we eat, the delicious stuff that you can put in a pie, that stuff is the meat of it, and it actually helps the seed to become fruitful, to, to, it uh, fertilizes the soil so that the next peach tree can grow. So when the Bible talks about fruit, it talks about this reproduction. Jesus used it that way in John chapter 4, when the, the woman at the well goes into the town of Sychar, and the disciples are interacting with Jesus, and Jesus says to them, he says, you are about to reap what you didn't sow, the fruit of eternal life. Because that woman went into the community and started telling everybody about what Jesus was telling her, and they all came out, and, and they saw numerous people come to faith in Christ. Fruit is reproduction. The third way that fruit is used symbolically in your Bible is to, it refers to how a believer influences another believer to help them grow or develop in their relationship with the Lord. Paul uses it that way in Romans chapter 1. He writes to the Romans and he says, Satan's been hindering me, but I want to come to you guys. I want to come visit you and I want to come visit you so that I can, I can impart my spiritual gift into your life so that we can grow together so that you can have fruit in your life. So Paul's saying, I want to invest in your life to help you grow and develop in your relationship with the Lord. So let's look at our verse again. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So here we have an individual, and we look at their life. We say, you know what? I don't see these characteristics of Christ really developing in their life. Don't see those, those traits being nurtured in them. And I, I don't really see that they're influencing others to want to come into a relationship with Jesus. In fact, the way they're living might even repel people from Christ a little more than it draws people to Him. And I look at their life and I don't really see that, that they're actually helping others within the fellowship of believers want to grow and develop in their relationship with the Lord. That's what he's describing. And look at what he says he'll do. We're back to the farmer. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the farmer, takes away. Is that a scary phrase? Every branch in me that isn't bearing the fruit that it should, he says the farmer is going to take it away. It's important here that we recognize the, the, the actual term that Jesus uses. Because the term that he uses is a term that might better be translated lift up. The farmer comes in. Remember, his whole life is about caring for the plant. And he comes in and he sees this plant that's not becoming what he intended for it to become. And so what he does is he addresses, he lifts up. In fact, the, the word is used um, and translated that way elsewhere in your Bible. It's, it's the idea of, of lifting up and carrying away. The, the, the promise here is not that Jesus is walk, or the Father is, is assessing this morning, looking through the seats here, looking at you and going, yeah, I just don't see much of it. We just got to get rid of you, okay? That's not the, and how do I know that? Well, I want to take you to a parallel parable, okay? That's why I told you to find Luke 13. So turn over there real quick, Luke chapter 13. And we're going to be looking at verse 6. And I want you to notice that Luke doesn't trust you. Verse 6, 
Luke says, he also spoke this what? Because he doesn't think you're smart enough to figure it out on your own. He spoke this parable, and here's what he said. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his what? Vineyard. So is, are, we, are we kind of in the same scene that we were in in John 15? Right, we're talking about a vineyard again. Here we've got this fig tree. And he said, and he, this certain man, came seeking fruit on it, and he found how much fruit? None. So here we go, right? We're again looking at our fruitless branch. This time it's a fig tree. And he says to the keeper of the vineyard, who's the keeper? The father. He says to the farmer. So he looks at this fruitless tree. He says to the farmer, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found how much? None. So here's his solution. Cut it down. Why does it use up the space? Let's pause. You guys are kind of having a growth problem here at Calvary Miami. The children's ministry classes are too full. The parking lot's getting crammed. And you look around and you think, this guy's been coming here for three years. I've never seen this guy bear fruit. Maybe we should kick him out and somebody useful can take up his seat. Okay, that's the imagery here. <laughs> He's saying, we got to get, like, you're fruitless. Maybe we should just get rid of you. You obviously won't listen or pay attention. And that's the attitude of this guy. So notice we keep reading, and he says in verse 8, but he, the farmer, answered and said to her, him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well, but if not, you can cut it down. What does he say? He says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how we treat fruitless branches. We don't throw away fruitless branches. What we do is we give extra attention to fruitless branches. He says, we're going to dig around it. Digging is hard work. It's hard work. We live in the land of soft soil, correct? You can dig in your yard with a plastic spoon. Um, I came from Southern California, and Southern California is an arid climate, and the only way you can live in Southern California is by stealing all the water from Northern California. And so the, the ground is very, very hard. And uh, this was years ago, but I was going to irrigate my backyard. And so I rented um, a trencher. So I get this big machine, and I fire it up. And I, I put it down onto the ground, and the thing just starts bouncing. And it's like the ground is laughing at the trencher. <laughs> it's like, you really think you're going to do that? Okay, so I have to turn it off. And I had to, for two days, flood my backyard, steal Northern California's water and flood my yard with it so that I could soften the soil enough to get this trencher to dig into it. Digging is hard work. Here's what the farmer says. If that person's not bearing fruit, maybe they need more attention. Maybe we should invest in them some. And then he says, in addition to digging, he says, fertilize around it. Fertilizer does not go in pie. Okay, you understand? Fertilizer stinks. This is not, this is, he's saying, this is dirty business. This is difficult business. But listen, this is important business. So here's the idea. If, if, if you would assess your life honestly, and you'd say, you know, Jim, I, I, think, I think branch one describes me. I've come to Christ. I've believed in him. My sins are forgiven. But you know what? I... I don't know that I'm bearing a lot of fruit. 
I don't know that my life is, is I don't know that I'm experiencing the life that God wants me to experience, and I, and I don't know that I'm enhancing the life of others. I just don't know that I'm bearing a lot of fruit. Maybe my life is more repelling people from Christ than drawing them to Christ. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to lean in in your relationship with the Lord. Make investments in your relationship with the Lord. Get more plugged into things that'll help you grow. Dig into the soil. Put the fertilizer down. If, if someone that you care about, someone that you love, is described as this branch, I would encourage you, don't get frustrated at them. I would encourage you, how can you lean in to help them develop and help them grow? So that's branch number one. We'll go a little faster on the next two just because I'm hungry. Um, so <laughs> John 15 again, if you would. Uh, verse 1, again, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then he says, and, this is halfway through verse 2, he says, and every branch that, what? Bears fruit, he says, he does what to? Prunes that it may bear more fruit. So I actually brought that one with us this morning as well. Uh, I'm sorry, Zach, for <laughs> what I did to your beautiful foliage in the yard, but, but here we have this branch, so this, so, you know, what do you want to be, right? The, the barren branch or this fruitful branch. And so, we look at this branch, he says, every branch that bears fruit. So, this branch is bearing the characteristics of Christ. We've got some love here, there's some joy. This branch has peace. Don't, isn't that one of the chief things that we need in the culture that we live in right now with all the chaos that's going on? You turn the news on and your gut is wrenching inside of you. You need this guy. You need some peace, right? You need, some, you need compassion for others. You need, a, you need righteousness to live in this world. Like these fruits are bearing in your life. It's like, oh, it's so lush. And, then, and you also have this over here. You have having an impact upon others. Like your life is, is being a witness to other people as you're in the community, at work, in school, and you're actually having an influence on others and people are being drawn to Jesus because of you and you. And, and the church, the church is flourishing because you're making investments in the life of others. And he's like, yeah, you're bearing fruit. And so Jesus says, every branch in me, you're connected, the life source, every branch that's in me, he says, he does what? Prunes, prunes. What does prune mean? Right? Now, if this little guy could talk, what do you think he just said? <laughs> I mean, think about it. And, and we've created these very efficient, efficient means to prune things faster. Like I've got this, this uh, pole saw, and I can extend it. And it's got this hook at the top with sharp teeth. So I can get those branches that are way up and I can saw at them, right? It's even got this little pulley system and, it, and it's got like a, like a blade in it. And I can hook that blade around the, around the limb of this little guy. Hey, get back away from me. I can hook the limb around this guy and I pull on the, on the rope and he goes, okay? So like, and I have this other thing. <laughs> These are horrible things if you're a plant. You're going, this is terrible. Like, you're a plant, you're reading this, where you're going, wait a minute, I'm bearing fruit. Do you not see this? Like, there's some peace right here. What are you coming after me with a chainsaw? You get the idea? 
But listen, he says, he prunes us so that we may what? Look at the verse. We may become what? More fruitful because your life is enhanced when you're bearing the character traits of Christ and everyone around you is better when you're bearing the characteristics of Christ. And so when Jesus sees you fruitful, he goes, that's awesome. The farmer is now going to help you be even more fruitful. It's not that he's greedy. It's not that he's like, I just want more strawberries. It's I want your life to be more lush. I want you to experience the life I intend for you. So he says, I'm going to prune you. Now, I want you to notice something, because just like that term lift up or, or take away, um, this is a very interesting uh, thought from the verse. He's, the word prune there in verse 2, look at verse 3. If you're reading this on your own, verse 3 might seem to not make sense. He says, he's going to prune you, and then he says, you're already clean because the word that I've spoken to you. Wait, what does that have anything to do with, I thought we were talking about farming, now you're talking about words that you're speaking to me? The word clean there and the word prune, it's the same root word. The same root word as clean and prune. It's the idea, what Jesus is saying is, you are this fruitful branch, I want to make you more fruitful, I'm going to do that with my word. This is how I do it. My word is going to help you become more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, the, um, y- you've heard that phrase, you have two choices. You can learn this the easy way, or you can learn this the hard way, right? Some of you even threaten your children with that, right? You got two choices. You can learn this the easy way, or you can learn this the hard way, but you're going to learn this. And your, your children have that. I mean, and, and we've, we've, as children, we've done it, and your children have done it to us, where it's like, you, you say, okay, clean your room, and they throw a fit, and now they're in trouble for throwing a fit, and when they're done throwing their fit, they still have to clean their room, <laughs> right? It's not like they got out of cleaning their room by throwing a fit. They just suffered more. And in the same way in our relationship with the Lord, it's like we can be pruned very easily. We're reading the Bible. The Bible says, don't do that. We stop doing it. You just got pruned. We could say, you just got pruned. You just got pruned, right? I mean, really, the word of God is pruning you. Or you can read what the word says. The word says, don't do that. You can resist God and, right? He's going to prune you. He loves you. He wants you to experience the life he's intended for you. And so we get to choose. Am I going to just let God's word speak to me and put into practice the things, or am I going to resist that and have to go through those challenging things because the farmer loves us too much to let those things remain in our life? One more thing, and we'll move on. Um, Jesus talks about abiding in him. Verse 4 is actually the only imperative in the passage where he, he tells us to do something. He says, abide in me, commune with me. Um, but then we jump down to verse 6. And in verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. We're coming to a third branch. And this branch also came to church today. And here's the branch 
And this branch, and I actually picked this one up off the ground, um, this branch is different than these two branches. And here's the primary difference. Branch number one was in the vine, although it wasn't bearing fruit. Branch number two, in the vine and bearing fruit. Look again at verse six. He says, if anyone does not abide in me. Is this branch connected to the vine? No, that's the difference. He's, this imagery here, Jesus is not saying that the unfruitful believer is going to be thrown into the fire and burned. That's not what he's talking about. We already talked about that guy, right? In this imagery, Jesus is saying the one who is not connected to me is the one who is going to be burned in the fire. Do you, do you see the difference? And so the idea here is, and this is where the, the illustration falls short. Remember, Jesus is not teaching botany here. Jesus is using an illustration to teach certain things about himself and our relationship with him. But here's where the illustration would fall apart, because this was once part of a living branch, right, or a living tree, and something happened to it, and it was broken off and it died. So, so we don't know. I said I found it on the ground. It might have been some wild child. Could have been some evil pastor from Vero Beach that came and ripped him off the tree like these guys, okay? Could have been difficult weather that, that knocked it down, right? It could have been old age. You know, whatever, whatever it is, something knocked this off. And, and so if, if the imagery was that it was connected and broken off, then we would say, well, something in life happened and it broke off. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about something that was formerly living and then died. He's talking about something that was dead that never came to life. Because here's the amazing thing about relationship with Jesus is we don't go from life to death. We go from death to life. That's what happened to us when we got saved. You were dead. You were a lifeless branch. That's who we were. I was a lifeless branch. And as a lifeless branch, I put faith in Jesus Christ and I was connected to him. And as I abide in him, as I commune in him, I bear those beautiful fruits that he wants to see produced in my life. So here's where we close and here's our application. Our primary message this morning, if you fell asleep for everything else, remember this. Life is found in Jesus and abundant life is found in Jesus. That's where you're going to find it. Those false, poisonous gourds out there will never actually give you the life you're looking for. What's our applications? Number one, if you have not yet come to put faith in Jesus, you've yet to just say, I know that I'm a sinner and Christ is a Savior and I just want to receive Him. Could I invite you to do that this morning? You go from being the dead branch to being alive by faith in Jesus Christ. And then the second application. The second application is as you honestly assess yourself. What areas would you say, you know what, I, I'm not really bearing fruit here right now. It might be something personal where you say, you know, I, I'm struggling with this part of my temperament and I just need the Lord's help with that. Or it might be, you know, 
in my workplace or in my place in the community or in school, I'm not sure that I'm actually being a witness of Christ, something that would, that would, that would make someone that doesn't know Jesus interested in the things of Jesus. And maybe it's time for me to start bearing fruit there. Or, or maybe I fellowship here and I get fed here, but I'm not sure how my life is actually helping anyone else here develop in their relationship with the Lord. Just honestly assess yourself. Where do you sit? So if you need to come to the cross and put faith in Jesus to be saved, we want to invite you to do that. If you need to say, there's some areas in my life where, where I either need fruit because it's not there or I need pruning so that I can have more, Jesus, would you do that in my life? So let's do this. Let's stand together and let's pray and ask God to do just those things. So, Lord, we first of all thank you that, that you would use language that we can understand, illustrations that we can relate to, to teach us truths that are so valuable. And, Lord, as we've discovered in your word this morning that life is found in you, we want you to be our source. Lord, you said that, that you were like a fountain and that living water came out of you and that we could drink of that fountain. And that when we drank of that fountain, living water would actually come out of us. And so, Lord, we really, we just want more of that. We want to experience more of that. And, Lord, we would um, just say thank you for your tremendous grace. And I just want to take a moment, perhaps you're here this morning and you... Say, I'm not sure that I've ever invited Jesus into my life to be my Savior. And I'm going to ask you, just in the quietness of your heart as I pray, you just repeat these things to the Lord. Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for being the vine, the source of life. And I pray that you would give me that life that you promise. Help me to love you and to follow you. And Lord, we want to pray for all of us that we know it's your desire that we bear more of those character traits in our life. So would you do more of a work in us as we follow you? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, God bless you guys.